G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. And thank you for joining us. My guest and co-host today, um, I'm not sure if we call him a Frenchman or not, but born into a French family in Australia. It's going to be an interesting story coming here. And I wonder, with Valentine's Day coming this week, the 14th, is that does that make any difference for somebody with uh, French in their blood? Pastor Vince Estimant, good morning. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Well, I don't think it does make a great deal of difference. Um, for the record, I'm happily married for 45 years. So. Oh, wow, 45 years. Yeah, 45 years. Congratulations. Thank you. But, uh, okay, you don't sound like a Frenchman. No. But you're born into a French family. In, in, into a French family, but I have French nationality. Okay, all right. And in ministry for a very long time, uh, joining us today uh, with people all, all around Australia, what's on your heart just at the moment? What's God talking to you about right now? Well, we are at the age, I'm 70 years of age. We've been church planters all of our lives, and we've come back to Australia after a long time away. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, we've gone back to our roots and planning another church. Wow. So there we go. Why not? At 70. At 70, yes. Wow. Some people might say that's time to, you know, just pull back a bit, take it easy. Well, you know, people expected that when we, were re- when we returned from, uh, from 34 years away. Um, they thought we'd be retiring and they didn't get the right idea at all. One pastor even said to me, oh, so you're not retiring, you're refiring. And I just simply said, well, look, I have not lost the fire. <laughs> and so it's not that either. You're still going. We're still we're doing here what we've always done. So. Yeah. Good stuff. What What is it? Uh, have you pastored churches before, I'm, I'm guessing? Well, well, I've pastored since the or age plant, of 23. Planted churches, I should All say. the churches we've planted, I pastored. Wow. So it's not an evangelist that, that comes in and does a, a week's meet, meet, meetings. Uh, we've, we've planted, we've gone when, where there has been very little or nothing, and uh, we've b- built from scratch and then pastored the churches. Mm. And so we've done that for 46 years. Now, not only a pastor of churches, but there's a connection to fish, I believe, in your uh, background. And in fact, photos on your wall of fish. I've well, been someone's briefed you well. Yes. <laughs> my, What's the story? My pride and joy, my collection of big fish I've caught around the world. When, whenever I'd travel, uh, I would um, ask the pastor of the church that had uh, invited me if they had any professional fishermen in the, in the congregation. Okay. Usually there was at least one that had like, local knowledge. And they would take me out fishing, and then so we'd, we'd catch the best fish around. So I've got some some lovely photos of what, fish. What's the most memorable place where you've been fishing, where you might have found yourself going, Lord, I can't believe I'm here? Well, I think it must have been down the rapids of the Mackenzie River in Oregon. Okay. Um, where a, a professional mountain guide took me up, and uh, there's about three of us went, uh, three pastors went fishing with him one particular day, caught nothing, and we could see the beautiful salmon just sitting there, but they weren't biting. And so the professional fisherman was very embarrassed about that and said, could we go out again? And so I jumped at the opportunity, just the two of us went out, Mm. and I caught two massive five-kilo trout. Wow. 
And uh, so they were this big. They, they were that big, yeah. And I've got the photo to prove it. Yeah, that's good. Well, you got to have the photo. You got to have the photo. If you've just got the story, it doesn't. No, count. no, that's not. That doesn't count. <laughs> Phil's my name. My guest today is Pastor Vince Esterman, and uh, also an author. And your latest book here, Vince, I will be with you, is the title. It's not your first one by any stretch, is no, it? No, it isn't. No. How many books under the belt? Well, I've got uh, seven books now that have uh, been published in in France. And four of those have been also written in English. Okay. Did you write them in French or in? Well, the first three I wrote in English, and then the others, um, one that I gave as a title, The Hundred Parables of Jesus, as you've never read them before, um, uh, then they were major works. Mm. Um, and they were written in French, and uh, another work on the depth of the Father Heart of God. And another one that's just come out very recently, only in French, about what constitutes a good church. Does it fall from the sky? Does it come up from the earth? Mm. What's the answer to that? Well, I think it comes out of the earth. It comes out of the earth. Just explain that a little. Yeah. Well, um, it's like it's like harvest. Harvest doesn't fall from the sky. Harvest has got to grow from the ground. Uh, the rain comes from the sky. Mm. And the church is a building. And the building begins with foundations and it has to rise up. Uh, and so... Um, with that understanding, then there is a, a human involvement that's very important. Jesus said he would build his church, but every house is built by someone, uh, Hebrews tells us. Uh, but the one who makes all things is God. Mm. So there's a, there's a, 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 a um, collaboration between a builder and the builder. Mm. I'm curious about the process of writing a book. I've never written a book what was it like for you, and particularly if you think about your first book, was it really hard or did it just flow? Um, I tend to write books pretty quickly. When I, when I get into, into a stream, I, I just sit. I've, I wrote one book in two weeks. Um, wow. Yeah. How many, how many pages are you talking? Uh, we're talking about um, close on 400 A4 pages. Okay. So it was quite a major work. But it's, it's all the work that's gone before that. Yes. It's not like I start with a blank page. Yes. Um, I, um, it, it, a, lot, a lot of the times the, the books begin um, without the intention of writing a book. Uh, but what happens is that I, I would do a teaching series, and the teaching series would um, make such an impact on those that followed it that I would go back over it and try to understand what what it was that, that really spoke to people and the importance of it. Mm. And out of that would then come a book. Mm. Well, I guess we're going to hear some extracts from your book a little later this morning when we get to hear your story, because your latest book is the story of you, isn't it? The, That's right. An Australian uh, preacher on a mission to France. That's it. France or France? Uh, well, Sydney, they prefer? say France. <laughs> I've, always, I've always said France. Okay. Well, in, in, French, in, in, in France, they don't say France, though, do they? No. No. They say France. France, that's right. Yeah, we're going to get that right. So that's coming in uh, just a little while. But sooner than that, communion. Uh, we're about to gather together and uh, give you, wherever you are around Australia, the opportunity to join with others as we reflect we remember and we also declare that Jesus will come again. They're the key things we do in communion. And I wonder, Vince, how would you suggest is the best way for us as believers to approach communion, how we should position ourselves before we take communion? Well, I think communion is, is one of those things that we do in church that is, becomes routine very quickly. Mm. And I think for that reason a number of churches have stopped doing it on a weekly basis, mm. might do it on a monthly basis, sometimes even a three-monthly basis. 
And um, that's because I believe that there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what we're actually doing at communion. Okay. And, and I'd like to speak on that um, around the communion today. Sunday morning together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Well, communion is otherwise called the breaking of bread. And there's a reference to the breaking of bread in an important verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, that's well known. And it says this, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And basically, uh, those four categories sum up the priorities of the early church. Um, we can understand the apostles' doctrinal teaching. We can understand very easily the importance of fellowship um, and prayers, which would include praise and worship. But I struggled with this verse because I couldn't find there the priority of evangelism and the gospel. I thought, surely this is the, the primary mission of the church, and it's not even included in this statement um, that is so important. And I wrestled with this, and it troubled me. And then as I read again the verses of Scripture regarding communion or the breaking of bread, I came across a verse that uh, shed new light on it for me. It was 1 Corinthians 11, verse 26, where Paul writes, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In fact, the, the launching pad and the, the, the foundation of our gospel message proclaimed is at the breaking of bread, that we are actually proclaiming the Lord's death. And that is surely the gospel. And with that comes the whole question of salvation, personal salvation, and it comes also the whole question of eternal life. And this is so important because... Uh, in today's Christian world, I see such an emphasis on improving Christians' temporal life. But ultimately, our fundamental message is not that. It is uh, reestablishing our hope in eternal life. And the breaking of bread allows us to do that on a regular basis, bring, coming right back to what is so important, the heart and soul of the Christian message, and that is that Jesus died for us. And so... This um, is so important for us today as we share together around communion because if you know Christ, if you believe in him, if you've been born again, then sharing communion is to relive that moment, to relive the moment of Calvary, of Jesus actually dying on the cross, but to relive also the moment that you stood with that centurion at the base of the cross. And that you looked into his face and you said, surely this is the Son of God. And so today, dear friends, rather than see communion as some kind of ritual, some kind of habit that we as Christians have because Jesus asked us to do it, um, sadly, I think churches move away from the regular practice of communion because it's become for them just routine. But yet, um, how can we say that, that the Lord's death is routine? How can we say that the gospel is routine? How can we say that our hope of eternal life is routine? 
I firmly believe that as we come back to the centrality of the Lord's death and that we declare it again and again and again and even to ourselves and amongst ourselves and then on the basis of that to this whole world that needs to hear it, then from that point on we will certainly be conscious of the great depth of our salvation. So as we share together in whatever the emblems are for you today, then we will really not only remember the Lord's death, but we will declare it. And we will declare that in him we died as well, to our old life and, and our sin. And we are alive in Christ and awaiting the eternal hope of glory. So let's just pray together as we partake. Father, we just are amazed today that you have sent your Son to accomplish what we could not accomplish ourselves. You were so concerned about sharing eternity with us that you gave what was most precious and you allowed and even watched your very Son die. Broken-hearted Father watching his Son suffer and die that we ultimately would become also your sons and daughters. Oh God, today, just let a fresh understanding of the Lord's death that we celebrate at communion, let it come again to us today as we share the bread and we share the cup in the name of Jesus. Amen. Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. You're joining at a really good time. In fact, about to get to know who is this man sitting across the desk from me in the studio this week, Pastor Vince Esterman, my guest and co-host. And uh, Vince, I know a little bit of the story here. You were born into a French family in Australia. Yes, that's right. In Sydney. Are you brave enough to say when that was? Well, uh, that was back in 1954. Okay, a few years ago. Yep. What do you remember from your young years? Well, um, I, I was actually uh, raised um, second eldest of six children okay. uh, in a traditional French Catholic family. Mm -hmm. My father and mother uh, met in the French community. My father was sent over by his French company for the wool at that stage, at that time of the year, or that, that, uh, that season of the economy when wool was still very much uh, mm. on the go. Australia was on the back of the sheep. At That's the, at right, that point. yeah. yeah. Um, now, they married and really established a, a French family, so I learned French at home before I ever spoke English at school. Mm -hmm. um, so that certainly marked my upbringing. But... As often it is, as, as often is the case with uh, um, children of of expats, um, they don't want to be different from their friends. And uh, I didn't want to be French. I wanted to be an Australian kid. Well, you certainly don't sound French. You sound very Australian. Right? I have a very Australian culture. Yes. Yes. It kept me sane all those years while we were away <laughs> in, in France. Yes. All right. And I got. I must disclose my 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 French is terrible. I know only just a few words here. I could say you know Jean Appel Philippe, but that's yes. about it. You know. Well, it's a start. <laughs> <laughs> it's a start. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, in fact, we have one of the team here at Vision who does speak French quite well, and um, she's always sort of pushing me. Going, well, you need to learn a bit more. So maybe I need to hang around you. <laughs> But this story is about you, not not me. So six kids. You're the second eldest. You said that's right. Yes. Okay. That's um, that's an interesting dynamic. I'm I'm at the other end of the scale. I'm the youngest of, of six children. So what's it like up the other end? Well, um, you know, I think when the, you're the youngest of six, 
then your parents have been through all the lessons <laughs> and you're a bit easier on the kids. I see. So they were learning very much with you. Still. Yeah, yeah. My, my brother and myself, yeah. Yeah. So what, what was life like for you in that time? Your, your parents, obviously, they were here. They were committed to Australia. Did they, they stayed? Or oh, yes. Or? No, no, they were very much uh, committed to Australia. In fact, both parents became Australian citizens. Right. Um, but maintained very strong ties to France. And we would go back to France every three years. My father would have to report back to uh, to the headquarters in the north of France mm-hmm. where the textile industry was at that mm-hmm. stage. Um, so we grew up very French, uh, traditional French meals that would last seven hours. Mm. Um, real Well, you know, <laughs> not when you're a kid wanting to kick a football yeah, around. Yeah, true. Okay. Um, so that certainly marked us. Um, it was not always an easy thing like, you know, having to be having to kiss your father in front of your mates. And mm. Aussie, Aussies just don't do that. Yes. Um, but my father insisted, so we yep. had to do that thing. So it was always kind of, I wish I hadn't been brought into, born into a French family. Little did I understand that years later, it would play such an important role in not only my life, but in our service and ministry. Mm, and we'll, we'll get to that very soon. I'm curious, though, you mentioned that your, fa- your family was a, a typical French Catholic family. So what did that look like? Well, it, it looked uh, like uh, private schools, Catholic schools, primary mm. and secondary. Uh, it was... Um, strongly engaged in the church? Strongly or? engaged in the church. Right. Uh, I was um, president of a youth, uh, parish youth club in Sydney, a pinball youth club, and uh, we did many camps on uh, summer camps in 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 um, catholic colleges and it was in fact at the age of 15 that uh, in one of those camps that i had the most powerful experience of god that turned my life upside down at, even at 15 and and i i was just overwhelmed it was it happened in front of my mates in front of the girls uh, it was in a chapel i didn't know what hit me and I wept for an hour, and I had one of the leaders come up, and she put her arm around me as, as I was just crying uncontrollably, and she whispered in my ear, don't worry, it'll all get better. Well, years later, it hasn't got better. It's, it's got more intense. Mm. Um, but I came out of that experience. I mean, I was really on fire, mm. and I didn't understand at all what had happened to me. What was the catalyst for that? Well, it was just a sovereign visitation of God. I mean, we were just in a in a service on a Wednesday night. It was a chapel service. Uh, I, I was quite sensitive to, to the whole question of God and faith uh, as, a, as a teenager. Um, but we sang a song that one of the leaders had, had written and it was, and the line, the punchline was, I cannot help but love my God. And that night I sang that and the full force of what, I've, what I sang hit me. Mm. And I just collapsed and, and wept and wept, and I couldn't control it. And uh, when I, I only knew two things. One, that, that God had touched me deeply, and the other was that I had experienced a joy that I had ne- never known up to then. And so that was the, the launching pad for a life dedicated to God. I, I knew at the age of 15 that I would spend my life serving God. Only for a young Catholic boy, uh, that would mean the priesthood. And so when my, when my high school years finished, I went into a seminary to become a priest. Right. I, um, I joined up and had two years there in the seminary wearing a black satan and crosses on the collar and the mm. whole thing. Mm. 
but that that's not the direction that you pursued. So what happened? No, well, a couple of things, actually. Firstly is that I started reading the Bible for myself once we were in seminary, which is what normally a, a Catholic person wouldn't do of his own accord unless there was a real spiritual search. Mm. It was in the seminary I started to read the Bible, and I could see that there was a level of Christian experience in the Acts of the Apostles that I was well not, not familiar with at all. Mm. Um, I became disillusioned with the institutional side of, of church life. Um, and ultimately, one of the guys in the college passed, me, passed on a book to me. It was The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. Okay. And that was a revolution. I was, it upset me that I could even be missing out on something like this um, when I, I read about people being converted, gang members being converted, preaching the gospel, and, and that sort of did something for me. I, that's what I wanted. And all of the stuff of learning that, that I, was, I was asked to do, that just didn't seem to, to, to relate to what my experience of God was. And so I left the seminary, and I, was, uh, I went and saw one of our retreat uh, leaders who took a retreat. He was, seemed to be different from the others, and it was a Dominican priest, a 60-year-old man. And I went to see him, and I explained to him my, my real dissatisfaction. And, and he said, well, in the last six months, I've come into something that's totally changed my ministry. And I said, what's that? And he, and he said, well, it's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Mm. And so he actually took me down to Canberra uh, for what was then what they call the Temple Trust Conferences. And it was uh, the speaker was Ralph Wilkerson, no relation to David Wilkerson. Right. But, uh, and that's where I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, you couldn't hold me back then. Wow. Uh, I went to Sydney. Sydney was a bit of a, from my understanding, was a bit of a spiritual wasteland at the time. That was in the early 70s. I heard that things were happening in Brisbane. I threw my stuff in my car and drove up to Brisbane looking for it, mm. and I found it. And I found it sitting on the back seat of Christian Life Centre Brisbane where the pastor was Trevor Chandler. Right. And your motto today fascinates me, and I wonder, was this actually evident for you then? And as I understand, it's winning one more person to Jesus. That's what you're all about today. That's right, was, absolutely. Was that, when, at what point did that become a central focus for you. Well, we um, just to to to, um, uh, to wrap up the, the story. Um, I actually went to Christian Life Centre Brisbane as a university student. I was doing a BA degree in the University of Queensland, and um, when I completed that, uh, Trevor asked me to come on staff, mm. and I became his youth minister. Right. And then in our first year of marriage, my wife's name is Denise. Uh, we were asked to go and plant a church in Ipswich. And so we went down there and there was a, a small group of people that had gathered and that would come up to the meetings in Brisbane. And so we planted our first church out of that group. And it's, uh, it's a fine church today um, that's called Catalyst Church. Um, and, um, and it was there that I went on the streets every Thursday night, late night shopping. And, and I'd, I'd done that in Brisbane. Now it was it was the way it was had to be, and I would win people individually, one at a time. And so it became my motto. This was just engaging with people in conversation, or you were preaching, or what were you doing? No, no, I would I would just go and talk to people on the street. Mm. Uh, and Ipswich was was a place where it was pretty rough, especially in those days, in the early seventies. It was a 
pretty difficult kind of socioeconomic situation. Uh, and so you get a lot of people that are pretty rough on the streets at night, and, and I would tackle them front on. Mm. In all these years, um, I've only been beaten up once, <laughs> and that was on the streets of Ipswich. <laughs> <laughs> So you, presumably you saw other results apart from just being oh, beaten up. But what happened? Of, well, one of the guys is is still one of the in the church in Ipswich. Forty years later, wow, um, led him to the Lord. It was it was wonderful. I had a whole group of young people t- t- around me one night, and I was talking to them. And I said to them, I said, you know, when you die, you get, go to either heaven or you or you go to hell. And one of the guys pipes up and he says, Well, I know where I'm going. I said, So where are you going, mate? And he said, I'm going to hell. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. And as the conversation went on with this group, the the group just dispersed. And this guy who had called out, he stayed. And um, I talked to him. And he was really touched. And I went and picked him up for church on the Sunday, brought him, gave his life to Christ. And 40 years later, he's still in the church. Mm, Fantastic. Yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. What happened next after that? Because that would have been early 80s, I'm I'm guessing. Well, we moved to, um, to Ipswich from Brisbane in January 1980, and that's when we planted our first church. Yeah. And um, we did a tour of churches in Papua New Guinea. I was invited to, to tour some churches in Papua New Guinea, and when came back, I was troubled because I'd seen Papua New Guinea is the most um, pro rata, the, the greatest presence of Christian missionaries is in Papua New Guinea. Mm. Um, and we came away from that, and I was dis- I had disquieting in my spirit in the, in the plane on the way home. And I turned to my wife and I said, where can we go where we're not, we won't be doing the same thing as everybody else? And then it hit me. It was like a light bulb moment. Hey, I'm French. I can walk into France anytime I want. Mm. And so I wrote to 100 organizations. I didn't, I've got, I, I, and I still do have a family uh, in, uh, in France but uh, I didn't know any evangelical Christian at all in France. Um, and so I wrote 100 letters to different Christian organizations all over the world trying to get a contact. And I got one reply. And it was a, an Assemblies of God pastor in the south, south of England who was, who was in charge of the European missions. And he wrote back and he said, if you really think that this is God, come over, we'll meet, and we'll bring you to France. And so we did that. And um, he took us into France, small, into a church where they were doing already teaching uh, kind of renewal meetings. And uh, the, the pastor of the church came to me and he said, uh, he said uh, we have a very small meeting of, of grandmothers, he said. <laughs> that was the word he used, of grandmothers on a Thursday afternoon. Would you like to preach? I had never preached in French before. And I said, yes, I'll, I'll do that. And um, so I had about fifteen grandmothers in front of me. <laughs> How was your French at that point? Was it was it, it was a bit rusty, or it was pretty poor. Right. I mean, I hadn't spoken in French for fourteen years. Right. So it was. I, I really struggled to put it all together in French, but it came through, and and the ladies were pretty pretty kind of forgiving. Me. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just felt I had a word of knowledge, uh, and I said, you know, there's. I'd like to pray for somebody. Lord, showing me that there's somebody here who's got a real problem with your heart. And I need to pray for you now. And I, I was thinking, well, you know, older ladies, surely it must be one of them with a pretty dodgy heart. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, a, there was quiet in the room, you know, and I, no one's moving. And then I looked up and, yes, one person did come forward and it was the pastor himself. Right. And so 
he asked for prayer. And so I prayed for him. And he told me later that he had to go into a hospital for open heart surgery. Um, and um, so the very next day we were continue on, on our way and we ended up in Paris where I had very few, just the name of one pastor there. And in our hotel room, the, the, the phone rang and it was this pastor from the south of France that I prayed for, for his heart, a church of 400 people. And he rang me and he said, he said look, um, I was really touched when you prayed for me, but I still need to go in and have this operation. Um, I don't know of anybody else I could turn to to help me over the three months where I'll be away from the church. Could you come down and lead the church? That's amazing. <laughs> it was an amazing That's... thing. And I said to him, I've got a church in Australia. I can't just up and li- not go back. And he said, well, in that case, come back next year and we'll do a major crusade with you. Hmm. And that's the beginning of our ministry in France. <clears throat> that's amazing. So this was the mid-1980s. This was 1986. Yeah. And you were in France for, was it 34 years? I got 34 right? years, yeah. What happened during that time? So you went back, I imagine, and and you did a crusade. Was that the start of there was a 1984 it began. We came back for a second trip in 1985, and and we knew because we were paying it out of our own pocket, and it was quite expensive. We knew we either had to give up that dream or move permanently over there, and um, ultimately we had a Macedonian call. Mm. Uh, a lady that was on the front row in one of the series of meetings I did in, in what at the time was the largest Pentecostal church in, in Paris. Uh, she um, was on, on the front row and she was quite enthusiastic. And, um, and then um, I found that the pastors were pretty traditional kind of guys and they kind of closed, closed down what, what God was doing in the meeting, which I wasn't too pleased about. And so my wife and I were walking back to the hotel, which was not far away, and suddenly we heard behind me, Pastor, Pastor. I turned around, it was this little lady, little old lady on, on the front row, and she said, you've got to come back. The only awakening we have is of a morning when the alarm clock goes off. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and we just went back to our hotel room, and we, know, we knew that God had spoken to us. Mm. So we went back to Australia to find a replacement for the church in Ipswich, and we moved to France the following year. Mm. I'm sure God did some amazing things. Is there a particular scripture that you hung on to during that time? Well, there there, there was a number of them, um, but there 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 was one in particular that was was the driving force for me. And where it sa- says in the Psalms, "I can run through a troop and leap over a wall," mm. and that was the driving force for me. Mm. Um, that there were a lot of troops out there that we had to run through, and a lot of walls we had to jump over, and. Um, it was interesting because when we came back from 34 years where we were on the front line and we had a lot of opposition, and, and I talk about it in the book, we were on the front page of Paris newspapers, accused of being a cult leader and everything else. Um, and, but when we came back to Australia, God spoke to me and said, now that was before, now the verse of Scripture is going to be a driving force, is stand and see the salvation of God. Mm. And there was a great old song. I've got that one going in my head straight away. I can run through a truth, (laughs) leap over a wall, hallelujah. (laughs) That's it. That's good. I'm curious about some of these experiences that you've had both in France and, uh, you know, here in Australia in in ministry. And you mentioned just before about being on the front page of newspapers or being uh, accused of, of different things. That's one thing, but then there's all the other good things that, that that happen as a result of what you're doing. What what would be the highlight? Do you think? 
Well, what we found is that there were a lot of people who had a, a burning desire to serve God and that they were not they they were not treated seriously. Mm. They, they, they needed to be. They were expected to to go into a Bible school situation, and then then f- be a trainee pastor for five, six, up to ten years. Just totally with not not within reach at all for these people because they're of, of, often married men uh, and women um, and didn't have that possibility. So we believed in them. We gathered them together on weekends. We trained them up and we released them so that there would be pastors for all of these churches that we were helping plant. So we've we've released a lot of people into into ministry, and um, even uh, even some well known pastors uh, today mm. that are serving God today. And you're still doing it. You you know here you are, what, seventy? I think you said before. Yeah, coming up to seventy now. A- and you're planting a church at the moment. That's right, in the north of Brisbane. And at the same time, um, we're we're training up uh, seven young adults who have got a real burning desire again to serve God and and teach him about preaching and. Uh, and um, leadership ministry skills and so on. I heard someone the other day saying that there is a, a looming, they didn't use the word crisis, but, but a big problem lo- looming for the church in that there are a lot of the current crop of people who've been in ministry for a long time. They're getting older. They're going to be retiring and withdrawing from, from ministry, and there's a vacuum behind. What, what do you say to that, and what do you see you know, in the church today? Who's coming through? What, what concerns you and what excites you? Well, I, I don't think the Bible schools are producing enough ministry, They're producing people with knowledge and people who have done, and young people who have done the three years or whatever. Um, I think it's, it's one thing to have um, training sessions on leadership, but it's another thing to actually be taking young people and, uh, and giving them the experience. You know, where, where, is the, where is the career plan for them? How can they go from where they are now and what they're doing now to a, a life devoted and structured around the preaching of the gospel and the and, and the pastoring of churches, mm. uh, and so it's got to be a real hands-on thing. Um, I, I think the Paul and Timothy model is really the one we have to have to go with. Yeah, um, Jesus and his disciples, Paul and Timothy and Silas and the others as well. Um, so that's what we're doing. We we did that in France for many years. We did that with a group of up to twelve, fourteen in Reunion Island, where we spent the eight and a half years. And uh, we're doing it again here in Brisbane. Mm, that's good stuff. You're building a wonderful legacy here. What actually keeps you going? Well, I, I one of the things that that people um, perhaps don't understand is that we, my wife and I, have never had children, and so we've never had grandchildren, and so we've never felt a generational thing. So I could well, in my mind, I'm a forty year old, uh, and I've still got things to do, uh, and we're still in good health. Um, we're not slowed up at all. So, so why settle down to watching TV and, and doing crossword puzzles? Um, we, we have not changed. And this is what I've said to a number of people coming back to Australia after being away for so long. I said, we've come back to Australia that has changed. Mm. Australia is not the Australia we left. We left an Australia where what you see is what you get. Whereas now there's so much image, there's so much facade, you don't know what you get. And, uh, and so... So there's there's a sense of uh, that's that's all also been carried over into the church into the church world, where um, uh, there is a, there is a sense of um, you know performance. Yes. Um, and, and and I think that today people need to be inspired again that we can do we can do this. We can be out there making it happen. You don't need all of the stuff that people do have today. And so 
So w- w- why I'm still doing it? Well, because it's still part of me. Mm. And and I think it'll still be part of me till the, the day I die. Acts 28, Paul is still trying to win people to Christ. <laughs> he just kept going, didn't he? He just kept going. Yeah. And he, it, it's central to what he did was the preaching of the cross. Yes. I think that needs to be our central focus. and. It's great having nice church buildings and the rest of it, you know, the comfortable and all of that. That, that. that has a place and a function. But at the end of the day, it's the it's, preaching of the gospel. It's the gospel. That, that's the most important. That's it. Uh, and, and the outworking of God in our lives. You know, People, they won't remember the color of the paint on the wall, but they'll certainly remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And especially if you shared the greatest truth of all with them. That's absolutely true. Mm. Thanks for sharing your story, Vince. Pleasure. Being wonderful. I look forward to reading this book that you've given me. Will you read it? I, I will. Oh, I, I will. I, it might take me a little while. I'm very wary of giving books to anybody because <laughs> I don't read the books that people give me. <laughs> uh, no, well, it doesn't look like an onerous read. It's not that long. No. So. Well, you know, somebody, one of the pastors who, who read the book said, this is a real man's book. You, know, you can read it in short, sharp bits and bite-sized pieces. I said, that's, that's a real bloke's book. Very good. And and your books, uh, I'm guessing they're available online if people want to look um, them up? That book certainly is in stock. It's, it's available on Amazon. Okay, and, uh, on Amazon. So on Amazon. Vince, Vince Esterman, that's E-S-T-E-R-M-A-N, and the new book is called I Will Be With You, The Inspiring Story of an Australian Gospel Preacher on a Mission to France. How about that? All right, well, I'll let you get prepared for the best five-minute sermon that we're going to hear today. Uh, what's it on? What's your subject? Well, my subject is um, the man, that, the paralytic man that was lowered through the roof. Sunday morning together on Vision Christian Radio. Well, this morning I'd like to read a passage from Mark chapter 2, a well-known passage um, of a man who is healed but has had help. Verse 1, And again he entered Capernaum, speaking of Jesus, after some days. And it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, uh, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was, was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. Now this story is, is taken in, in uh, Capernaum, and, uh, and everybody in Capernaum would have known of Jesus uh, because that's where his headquarters were. This man was certainly aware of the healings. He knew that Jesus was healing everybody that came to him. But he must have thought that it would have been impossible for him being a paralytic man because even if he could drag himself to to the house where Jesus was, he could have never gotten through that crowd. It was just a hopeless task for him. But what was hopeless for him alone became possible through the help of his friends. And because his friends were able to carry him, then Jesus was able to touch him. Now, friends... You're listening to me today. You might have some two good strong legs, and you might say, "Well, you know, I don't have the problem that this man has." But I have found that there are many people today that are paralyzed, but spiritually paralyzed, and somehow they're not going to get to Jesus unless they've got some friends who can carry them at least up to a point and lower them or place them in front of Jesus. 
It's interesting that in the story that there are four friends. Well, that stands to reason because there's four corners to a stretcher. But those four friends were instrumental in, in, in doing what that man couldn't do by himself. And I believe that God places four friends around anybody that needs to come to Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about four individuals necessarily, but four ways in which someone else can help someone who needs to come to Jesus. So let me quickly give you those four friends. The first one is is that person that accepts you the way you are without judging you, without being moralistic, but, but just loves you and accepts you. Uh, that, that is so powerful today because we, we're living in an indifferent world. We just live in the midst of a lot of people and we just don't care about them. But this person will care about you. Uh, we've all had, I hope, people who have cared for us. How important that has been to each one. The second friend is the one who will be praying for that person. You see, because a person that hasn't yet come to Jesus, he doesn't know how to pray, and he doesn't even know that he can pray for himself. So this friend even can be anonymous, at a distance, can be praying and carrying uh, his friend to Jesus. The third friend is the one that will share the message of the gospel, that, that will dispel the ignorance and the confusion that this person might be experiencing. Romans 10, 14 says this so succinctly, And how will they believe in whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And so this is one of the most important friends that anyone could ever have. Someone who will sit down and explain the simple truth in a personal way of the gospel. And the fourth friend is the one who will do something of a practical nature that will help a person come to Jesus. It'll be to provide transport where there's no transport. It'll mean to supply a Bible if the person doesn't even know where to buy one. It'll mean a dinner invitation because the person never gets invited to dinner. It might be even coming forward in a meeting at a time of of altar call. You see, these four friends work together to ultimately carry a person who is experiencing that spiritual paralysis that fear and doubt can produce within a person. When we were kids growing up, six of us, we would go as a family and visit uh, my grandparents in Sydney. And um, we were just kids. And, and um, my father, he was in the French military, and uh, we were his little private army. And when we would walk up the driveway, we had to walk in single file and march up there. We all felt stupid doing it. Um, but the next door neighbors to my grandparents were Jack and Betty, and they were often in the garden when we would arrive, and they would always wave to us and call out, hello, Estimans, how are you all? And um, we didn't have a relationship really with Jack and Betty. It was just, just a hello, that's all it was. Uh, years went by, and I was now a pastor, a young pastor of 24 years of age, and uh, I visited my grandparents, and they said, um, would you please go over and, and, and see Jack and Betty. They, they would love to see you and get a visit from you. I said, yeah, no problem. So I popped over and knocked on the door and they, they opened the door together and I introduced myself. Of course, they didn't recognize me initially. 
and I explained who I was, and and I said, now Vincent, we we've heard that you're a pastor, and I said, that's right. But are, are you a Christian pastor? Are, are you born again? And I said, well, yes, and 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 you wouldn't be filled with the Holy Spirit, would you? And I said, as a matter of fact, I am. And they said, so are we, so are we. And I said, this is just the most amazing thing. I said, please explain. And they said, well. Remember when you as kids would all march up up the driveway visiting your grandparents? Well, one day we were in the garden, we saw you and we waved to you and the Holy Spirit spoke to us, both of us, and said, you see, Vince, my hand is on him. Pray for him. Carry him to Jesus. And so, folks, I needed to be carried to Jesus by Jack and Betty. And they were up on the roof and they ripped the roof off and lowered him down. And if I, only I could do that for you if you're struggling. If I could lift the roof off and lower you to Jesus, I would do it. I would like to pray right now. And perhaps if you're struggling with this, if you have fears and doubts, then you might like to just close your eyes and pray this prayer with me. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to me and let me know your love, how personal and powerful it really is. I don't want to go another day without knowing you. Touch me, Lord. Let me be born again by your precious Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Sunday Morning Together across Australia on Vision Christian Radio. Well, we're at the end of our time together this morning. My guest and co-host, Pastor Vince Esterman. Wonderful to have uh, spent some time with you uh, on this Sunday morning across Australia, Vince. Well, I've enjoyed it immensely. As have I. And uh, I wonder if you might be able to lead us in a prayer for our nation. That's normally how we close off mm. this time together to, to pray for Australia. Before we do that, how should we be praying for our nation? Because you've lived in, in two different nations. And I imagine you've prayed for both uh, you know, quite fervently. Yes. Um, I, I pray for trees rather than forests. Um, and I believe that there is a need for a whole generation of young people, young adults, men and women who um, will count the cost and preach the gospel and have faith in their hearts and not go for an easy option. Mm. And I, I, I would want to pray into that. Um, that right around the country, there will be now men and women, young people, that will rise up and devote their lives to the, the cause of the gospel. Mm. Well, can you lead us in that prayer? I certainly will. Lord, throughout this country, this great south land of the Holy Spirit that we so often remind ourselves, we pray, Father, for a generation that will not choose an easy life. They will not choose, Lord, their own career, their own comfort. They will not choose, Lord, their own material prosperity. But somehow they will be uh, enlightened, but also uh, ablaze, Lord, with passion and determination and faith in their hearts to God, you could really use each one of them, whether it be in the west, in the north, in the southeast of Australia, in Queensland, Tasmania, Lord, wherever, that there are young people, young adults, men and women rising up and daring to believe that they are not bound by institutional thinking, but that they can open up there and and open up a, a new way, open up, Lord, with the gospel, the power of the gospel, 
that can break through into uh, schools and universities, that can, that can affect workplaces, that can affect gatherings, Lord, and, and uh, somehow fire will beget fire and it will just spread. That is my prayer, Lord, for today. We're not looking for something to fall from the sky. We're looking for something that just can spread from heart to heart. And so, Lord, Holy Spirit, you who manifested on the day of Pentecost, not just by the sound of a mighty wind, but, Lord, also by fire, that you, Lord, again would put fire in hearts, that we will be able to devote our lives to the wonderful, amazing cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray this now, the wonderful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Mm, Amen. Passionate prayer. Well, thank you, Vince, for spending some time with us this morning. It's been a real pleasure. And it's been a great pleasure for myself and to be with you, but also to all those who have tuned in and, and, uh, and followed this, uh, this program. It's been a great joy to be with you this morning. And if you'd like to learn more about uh, Vince's ministry, Vince Esterman, uh, or in fact the new book which is out called I Will Be With You, which is Vince's story. Uh, that's available online through Amazon. So uh, God bless you, Vince, and everything you do. And, and uh, you know, at 70 years of age, planting another church, I'm sure there are many, many great things ahead of you still. That I'm God's believing for, for it. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.